Mandy Yakich from Creative Matters, and you're listening to Creative Matters On Air, where I have conversations with new and established artists from around New Zealand. I love to listen to artists' stories and learn about their creative process, and maybe you do too, which is why I've made this podcast, to inspire, inform and educate. I hope you can take away something positive and encouraging from each of these amazing stories to help you on your own creative journey. Hi, and welcome to Creative Matters episode 19. Thanks so much for listening. Today I'm talking to Mandy Flood. Mandy is a contemporary jeweller from Westmere in Auckland, New Zealand. The aesthetics of decay and obsolescence, along with the beauty of impermanence, forms the impetus for Mandy's work. She takes the traditional process of enamelling and seeks to expand the preconceptions of a finished surface. It is the inclination of time found on the commonplace urban object that Mandy endeavours to express through both manipulation of metal and the indeterminate nature of enamel. The alteration of the surface is intended to draw attention to the beauty found in decline. Through wear and tear, each piece will expose itself wholly to the wearer. This unpredictability of process and material is what Mandy finds intriguing. You can see her work on her blog, which is on our website, creativematters.co.nz, and you can check out her beautiful jewellery on her two Instagram pages, which I've linked to on her blog. Welcome to Creative Matters on Air, Mandy. Thank you very much, Mandy. Lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you, and it's cool that we're both called Mandy. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> two Mandys. That sounds a bit scary. Thanks. Yeah, could be bad. All right. So, uh, yeah, it's lovely to have you. We've known each other for uh, quite some time yeah. in a way that we have a mutual friend, yeah. and we were both teachers. And, um, yeah, I think we met probably... Well, I came oh, here in 98, um, and I knew the mutual friend then. Yeah, so more than 20 years ago we yeah, met. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we don't see a lot of each other, but we oh. cross paths now and then very happily. So, uh, yeah, it's lovely to have you here, and I'm so excited to hear your story. I know, uh, you know, I've been following you and your practice and your amazing jewellery you make, but I'm really looking forward to hearing all of the backstory, Mandy. Ooh, that's that's exciting and nerve wracking as well. So <laughs> no, it's we great. Shall, I shall try and give you a few clues. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> so let's go all the way back to the beginning. Can you tell us where you were born mm. and what kind of childhood you had? Okay, right back then. Um, I was actually brought up in Birmingham, in the centre of England. I was. Um, well, I am a daughter of a, of a um, single-parent mother um, who brought me up alongside with her father, my granddad. And to be honest, it was really my granddad who's probably had a strong influence on who I am in many ways. Um, he was very much of a tutor, um, a bit of a tinker, I think, probably would be the English terminology. Mm. Um, and I would spend a lot of time out in the garage with him um, sorting out the car, doing the oil changes. The garage was a place of just Aladdin's cave, loved it to death. Um, he was also a plasterer and I went and did a few jobs with him. So I suppose you could say I was a bit of a tomboy mm. um, and quite independent probably um, because mum worked 
full time. Um, I was one of those things that you call a latch latch key kid. So I had the key around my neck. Perhaps it's the first piece of jewellery I ever wore. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) it might have inspired you. Absolutely. (laughs) And came home and probably always been a bit of a problem solver in many ways. I like to see how things work um, and get to the bottom of it, which got me into a bit of trouble when you start taking away the family, taking apart the family clock. That didn't go down too well with my granddad. Um, And went to the local primary school. Uh, Currently, I was quite clever, but I wasn't allowed to sit the 11 plus, which was something that we had in the UK. So I had to go to the local comprehensive, which was an all girls school, 1,600. Loved it in many ways, um, but I wanted to go down a more practical avenue, which really wasn't encouraged mm, even at that time even at that time which we won't actually say how many years ago that was um and so it took really until I went to well I I decided I was going to go and stay on at the sixth form so that's year 12 13 here mm-hmm. which wasn't what anyone did in our family um so I pushed for that one a bit contrary and that was when the art started I did a level art loved it um and then I wanted to carry on and wanted to be a fashion designer and um, that meant going to do art foundation year which again was not encouraged it was definitely not what my mum wanted to do my granddad died when I was just just before I was 18. Oh wow um, and which, that would have been big for you I guess. Yeah it was yeah. it was and it kind of pushed me if anything to be even more contrary mm. Um, which again was not a good compliment when you was called a contrary child or a contrary contrary girl, even worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got accepted to Birmingham um, Polytechnic for an art foundation year, and that was where I really wanted to do the fashion design. And I didn't get into my first choice, which was St Martin's College. <laughs> um, and then I decided, well forget it let's see what I'm going to do I'll take a year out and which was a big year of working doing all kinds of everything Mm. working in a shoe shop working in British home stores and then I actually did some voluntary work in a special school and started working with these really crazy individual kids I got blue paint thrown over me and I thought yes that's what I want to do oh my god (laughs) (laughs) wow absolutely and I then started to look into um Going, going away from home, it was time to move away from home. It was getting quite hard. Me and my mum were definitely headbutting each other. Um, and so I started to look at Liverpool and there's something called craft design technology, which was a four-year degree course, and it was very male-orientated. Um, in fact, I was almost courted to go there because I was the only female. So in the four years, there was a female finishing in her fourth year and I was the female coming in in my first year so that's incredible (laughs) wow why I wonder why that was just Just, those days just because woodwork metal work really and I mean I went through an all-girls school and we had none of those facilities Mm. never even talked about so um I ended up different wasn't it in those days hugely in those days in those days (laughs) not that quite not the dark ages but (laughs) so I ended up going to Liverpool uh for four years degree I and when you're doing a teaching degree you do a practicum for every year as well so it's a it's a full-on professional degree unlike unlike my lovely friends who are my deepest friends who did these blooming psychology degrees and I was the guinea pig for every blooming experiment (laughs) they wanted to do 
best friends, <laughs> love them. Um, so it was a teaching design, art and design teaching degree. Yeah, full on, wow. f- full on degree um, and finished in 89. And I got snapped up pretty, pretty quickly for a job on the Woodchurch Estate in Birkenhead outside of Liverpool and it was rough, rough and tough. But I actually ended up being a um, in an art department. Beautiful guy called Jeff Samuels looked after me. We set up a 3D um, area there and that was, I, I started that off and it was great. And a little quick aside, but in the middle of COVID, as we've all found different people again, I actually got in contact with one of my first students who's now 40 odd. Really? And we had the best laugh over Instagram and conversations and the things that accordingly I did that I was like this crazy teacher that was you know more of a mate which is scary mm, but, but good though but yeah she was and an 18 year old yeah then. and you would have been in your 20s yeah absolutely like, yeah. yeah so it was um no it was great and then I met this strange bloody southerner really <laughs> <laughs> and we started to talk about doing an OE which for somebody in the UK is not what you do. Mm. You know, I was, and I was just about being going to be given the head of art there. Um, I was also a pastoral um, department head. So I had my own year group and stuff like that. And it was great. Mm. But And you've done well. You're still young. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I then said no. I'm going to go overseas for nine months. And that was was a southerner, Alec. It was. The guy that you eventually married. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if you travel with somebody for nine months, it's one way or another really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Um We had a great time in New Zealand. and But we had to go back home. Uh, went back into Liverpool and I got a job working with... Students that were classed as disaffected, which was a European funding uh, initiative. So kids that were excluded. And that was in um, Kirby, which was intense. Uh, And then another EEC funding thing came through for working as a counsellor in a school, which was over in Newton and Willows. Um, I I love both of those things and they were quite, they were quite good for me not to work as a creative per se, but to work in different ways. Um, I think part of the reason I went into education was because of kids who have needs, mm. and we've all got needs. Um, and I, yeah, I identified with those kinds of individuals. Um, it was exciting. All the way, though, we were still talking about how great the time had been in New Zealand and um, a bit of an itch needed to be scratched. So we decided to upset everybody in our families <laughs> and move 12,000 miles away. Um, and what year was that? That I came over here in 98. Uh, in fact, I got ma- we got married in 97. We told everybody at the wedding we were leaving. That was a good one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no one could argue. Um, and then Alec followed me six months later because of selling the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came to um, school on the shore. Uh, quite interesting because I have to say this quickly, but um, Narrow Neck was a place that I had no idea what it was about. And I've literally arrived something like the 26th of January, started teaching probably a couple of days after that and found this amazing view 
from where the school was and yeah. I, I thought I'd literally landed and come to heaven. Yeah. Um, so it was it was an intense, good six months working as um, design technology te- teacher. Mm, and that was Spelmont Intermediate. Yeah, that was at the Intermediate there. Yeah. Um, made great friends, I suppose you have to, when you're on your own. Um, and I, I realised that there was a quite an uphill battle with um, design education. Um, but stuck with it for a few years and then uh, first child came along. And so I then made the decision, we made the decision to probably give up teaching because we had no, we have no support network mm. directly. Lots of yeah. great friends. It's very hard to do though, isn't it? Full time with kids. Yeah. And also at that point I was 36. So it felt like it was a time to, if you're going to do this job, i.e. being a mother, I want to do it properly. Mm. Um, I did a little bit of re- relieving at the local um, high school where I li- where we live, and then number two child, so that's sort of two years, eight months, <laughs> um, and then Nadia was six months old, and I decided it would be quite a good idea that I could actually do an after school program because you know you can when you've got a six month old baby, can't mm. you? Because you're indestructible. <laughs> mm, yeah, that didn't work too far, <laughs> <laughs> um, and. The edge to retrain was still there or work in a different way. Coming from Birmingham, jewellery had always been perhaps in the lifeblood of me. Um, Birmingham's got a brilliant um, training facility there. Mm. Um, Different story. And so took me to, oh, yeah, Lara was five. And it was almost like, you know, she's at full-time education. Mm. Um, so is Nadia. Oh, guess what? I can do a full-time degree now. And I did. I don't wow. know how. It was crazy. Did you? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so and what were you studying then? That was the um, t- and the jewellery. So oh, the jewellery study. Yeah, yeah, went to Unitech. Yeah. Um, and it is a degree in contemporary craft with jewellery as a main major. What a great degree. Great degree that's not there anymore. Isn't that sad? And and we were talking about that earlier, how, you know, a lot of those creative um, institutes in Auckland anyway. Oh, New going. Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand. In New Zealand, um, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Unitech has got makers, New Zealand makers, well, worldwide renowned makers, Octavia Cook, um, Jane Dodd. Lots of people went through Unitech. Brilliant teachers, Pauline Byrne, Marie Earle. Um, really, really vital, vital, vital to so many p- people's growth. Yeah, um, yeah. and it's so sad it hasn't been valued and held on to. I just can't understand. No, it's... And there must be, you'd think there would be even more of a demand for it because I feel like creativity is becoming more and more valued in society. Yeah. So why, why are the institutes not, institutions not keeping up? Absolutely, and the big thing about that one is the facilities and the equipment has been pulled together over so many years, um, and they've just gone, and that sort of stuff. Even if you reopened it, you could never get that sort of stuff back. Mm. Um, that in that intellectual property is really just disappearing. Mm. And so, when you went to back to university, did you have that plan that you were going to become a full time jeweller? Um, to be honest, initially, I, my idea was I'm going to learn to set a diamond. 
Don't ask me why. Didn't even really, didn't even really value diamonds, but you know that's what jewelry did. The contemporary jewelry at Unitech was about thinking. It's about looking outside those parallel lines, um, and that to me was absolutely um, enlightening. Again, it just set up a passion. Uh, the facilities were there, so you could actually throw yourself into something. And by the second year. I was really starting this enamel journey. Um, I, I, I went in, as I say, to set a diamond, diamond, not realising quite how intense that is. Mm. And it's basically somebody else does it anyway. Um, but the preciseness, the idea was going to teach me patience. I realised I am never going to be that wonderful, clean silversmith person. In fact, one of my lecturers actually said, you know, you're not doing a good job at that one. <laughs> so I started exploring the enameling which initially enameling is such an ancient skill and that is a very precise skill mm. I mean, can you actually talk about that process i really don't know how that works how to enamel yeah yeah i mean it's really grains of glass um that is fired at around 700 to 800 degrees to produce a very um smooth shiny surface if you look in historical uh, paintings or pictures and you can actually see um, pieces in analyst jewellery, you know, not for the wealthy wealthy, but it's to look wealthy. It's, mm. um, it's Egyptian, you know. It's mm. And is it on metal? Yep, it's on copper. It works really well. Silver is a little bit more temperamental, but it gives a great um, finish. The Japanese are absolute masters of it and there's – Cloisonne, there's plaque de jour, there's all kinds of different mm. things. But it's it's clean, it's tidy, it's precise. There's a wonderful jeweller, Jasmine Watson, who is uh, she's gone over to um Japan and she's got an award as a as a foreigner doing amazing stuff. Her work is everything mine isn't. Um so I started doing this and Alan Preston, who is a local and you know Mirawai, yeah, jeweler and, yeah. A, and a world world known jeweler. Um, he has done he had done enameling and gave us a little bit of a talk on it and shown his mm-hmm. earlier work. And I started to explore because as much as it is tight, perhaps it comes back to my contrariness. I decided I was going to try and do something else um, with it, with it, with yeah, that material, with that material. Um, so the cleaning, the cleanness, the using distilled water and all this thing, I just like, no, I don't know what, why I do this. I'm just mixing it around. And I started exploring to find about liquid enamel. So my enamel is uh, consistency of a single cream and it is painted, it's very painterly. And I started to explore the wabi-sabi nature of things, mm-hmm. um, the letting it be, which when you look back on yourself, you realise I had never really done that as much mm. as I wanted to. There is the constraints. And you paint it onto the copper and you put it into the kiln and it's letting the fire do the job. And you bring it out and every every time it's a new experience. Yeah, you know, yeah. And it's a little bit like abstract absolutely. painting in yeah. a way. Yeah. And you're not quite sure what to expect. No. Yeah. And if I was following the proper enamel line i'll be writing down the temperature it went in how long it was there for the ambient air conditions all that kind of stuff but no 
you know, <laughs> that wasn't going to be your thing. No. <laughs> so it's great when you're doing that, but probably in a couple now, people say, well, I really like that one. Can you make me the same? So mm. the simple answer is no. Mm. But that's what sort of adds value to your work because each piece is so individual. I Absolutely. Guess. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is, if you made it into a huge canvas, you could charge an awful lot of money for it mm, <laughs> because yeah. it is as unique as any Rothko. That's right. Um, yeah. That's contentious to say that out loud, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I wonder if you'd ever do that kind of thing. I'm not too sure. Um, it comes down to size of kiln. It comes down to everything. Yeah. Um, there, is not- an in- there is an intimacy with jewellery that sometimes is good and sometimes is bad. You know, sometimes you have to look away from the bench mm. rather than you can be really mm. full on. Why, why is that, do you think? Why, what's that intimacy about? You're working in a very tight triangle almost, if you can imagine your eye in the bench and you can become drawn into it too much. And also, not obviously, but you are working with something that is going to be worn. Mm. And the one thing about the course at Unitech was that you do the whole, um, you explore the wholeness of jewellery. You know, the contemporary jewellery is quite different from... I don't know, dare I say it, a Michael Hill engagement mm, ring. More mainstream yeah, jewellery. Yeah, yeah. And is it, um, I mean, we'll go back to talking about your university and what else you did there, but is um, is jewellery, um, like contemporary jewellery, is it actually bought by some people? We're probably going off topic slightly, but is it seen also as like a, a display piece or is it always made to be worn like you said or do some people buy buy things not intending to wear them yeah i think it's it's an individual approach and yes there are people who will buy something and they will just have it and enjoy it um there are collectors and collectors are very into individual people and they collect for their very own reasons um but the joy is wearing often um some people can get too precious about not wearing something my work has all of that involved in it but there are options are that it will actually wear with wear you know bits Mm. will flake bits will crack and that was the angle i was going down in the respect of we sometimes hold on to things and are too scared to enjoy them because of that preciousness but when you do wear it and everything becomes part of you. Um, When you have a crack or bits fall off, don't try and actually mend it, enjoy it, Mm. because that was an experience that came through that piece of jewellery, you know, and and you remember it when you look at the cracks, you look at the chips, um, and that is that whole wabasabiness. And we do have a, and we, there is a, there is a easy throwawayness in life, isn't there? Yeah, know, we definitely. we can get a chip in something and we won't keep it. Mm. I have a few chip cups, so I have a few cups that have no handles, and I can't quite throw them away. Mm. Part of it is because I don't actually agree with throwing them into landfill anyway. I may as well have my own private landfill at home. <laughs> <laughs> with lucky Alec, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a few memories in every piece. Yeah, that's the thing. Mm, yeah, I love that approach. Yeah, so that's the way. Mm. <laughs> oh, there's there's lots of questions I could ask about that, but let's just go back to Unitech. So you looked at enamel. Were there other materials you were exploring? Um, that became a rabbit hole, to be perfectly honest. And there is so much of it, that, and there is 
only that much time because as much as you're doing your practice, you're also, as I say, there's the wholeness of doing a a three-year degree. You know, there's the validation of, you know, writing a dissertation and all that sort of thing. So, And were you learning about how to bend metals and all those other things? Initially, that first year was quite um, structured. Um, second and third year, as I say, it's because it has to go through NZQA. There has to be everything else. You know, there, there was a paper about how to market yourself and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so, and of course, it was two children and they had their after school things that you would, you know, I'll be the one leaving at three o'clock to go and do and pick up the kids. But the great thing about Unitech was you could come in at any time. So you'd go in, sort out your kids, do whatever you had to do. And then I would go in to back around about, you know, maybe nine o'clock, eight o'clock at night, work for a couple of hours. Oh, wow. Especially in that final year, because the intensity of the work becomes so much part of you, mm. or it did for me. Mm. Um, and I think I, when I throw myself into something, I, I am 100%. And that's probably why I took time out when I was bringing up the children. I mean, me and Alec, obviously. But, you know, I was, I'm the one that said, because Alec, and that's the reason, let's put it down blatantly here the reason i'm doing this job this job is because alec is working and has been working for 20 odd years doing a job that i would probably kill myself to Mm. do which is you know figures accountancy but he's worked very hard to give me the opportunity to do what i do Mm. and there's no other way that is it because um i think if i had to make a living from this particular work I would be doing a completely different style of mm. making yeah and isn't it it's just a gift it that he's gift. given you to be able to actually explore what really lights your fire yeah instead yeah. of thinking about the money yeah and unfortunately a, a lot of artists have to be realistic oh, like that don't they absolutely and um yeah I wouldn't say daily I say thank you but <laughs> <laughs> when he's being well behaved <laughs> yeah so um through Unitech, you you've had a show at the end, I guess. So I was, I say fortunate, but at the end of the day, I worked bloody hard. And quite simply, um, I got the graduate Fingers Graduate Award. Um, wow! And Fingers being an iconic gallery in New Zealand, um, Auckland. I that meant there were four graduates from different from the different institutions that were there that would be brought into the gallery, um, given a show, um, and then really the work stays there. Fingers is an amazing mm, institution amazing. that once you're there, they really support you. Mm. And that's, um, yeah, as you said, it's an iconic um, jewellery gallery, would you call it? Uh, yeah, a definitely gallery. And retail. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, um, I mean, it's been going for 50 years yeah, it was established by a group of people, and and most of them are still involved. They're actually they? all working, so they're all. I think Michael Cooper is just turned seventy. Alan Preston is eighty plus. Um, Ruth Baird is eighty, and um, Roy Mason keeps his number very close to his chest. <laughs> that man, um, and they work there, and they um, support the New Zealand jewellery community in its widest side Mm. um which is so amazing it is amazing and it's an incredible place isn't it it's just opposite Auckland Art Gallery in town and yeah and it all it's it's all contemporary jewelry isn't it yeah and I think the good thing is when you say contemporary jewelry that remit is wide 
Um, I work with enamel and concrete now a bit, but there is gold, there is silver, there is plastic, there is glass, there is fabric. Um, it's, it is the widest um, choice of materials. Uh, we have, we don't have so many graduate makers now because there aren't graduates as such, but it is literally from people who are starting their first forays into contemporary jewellery to people like Warwick Freeman and Carl Fritch and Lisa Walker. Um, you know, we, we've got names that are represented throughout the world. Mm, that's incredible. Yeah. And, um, you know, so sort of forward thinking of, of fingers oh. to actually – you know, sponsor young graduates and um, and then, you know, you've been involved ever since. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to get myself a one day a week there. Um, it is a collective. Um, so we, the, we've got um, four of us now who are working there as shop girls, but we're a bit more like shop women. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's, there's a lot of makers that have worked there. Uh, it, it, it is a selling in many ways. Um, so you do deal with retail and all its warts and all. Mm. But it's great to have one day a week. For me, it's very good to actually leave the studio mm. um, to actually work there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and talk to people. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and um, obviously they have an annual show, which is probably a good kind of thing to aim for every year. But anyway, let's go back. So we're kind of leaping forward here. If we go back to Unitech, what happened afterwards? I mean, how did you feel coming out? I mean, you had that you had that contract with Fingers, so that would have been encouraging, I guess. Yeah, that was that is actually the big thing because once you have that intensity of any um, creative course, it, you know, it's, it's keeping that momentum mm. um, and having a show. So I finished. Oh, I have to put this one. So I finished. Um, the December and then the show was going to be the October the following October um, and that was really good to keep you going because it's very easy to suddenly go flat yeah um, and, and what year was that Mandy so the 2013 was the show yeah um, alongside that as well knowing that Unitech was going through some huge um, changes and uh, three of us started to set up something called faux studios in Point Chef um, me, Dorothy Delatour, and Marie Earl. Marie Earl. Marie Earl being one of the lecturers there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great space. It had, it has, because it's still working really well. Um, the idea to bring collect um, creatives together mm. and still having your own workshop um, space and bench space. So I put a lot of energies into that. Um, for quite some time, and that's where you went to work, and that was your studio space. That as was well. my studio space, yeah. And as at a long time, alongside that, though, it was running classes. Um, I set up a wax carving class, which we actually did in conjunction with Studio One, which was mm-hmm. really good as well. We get Studio One to know faux studios in whatever because it's a community and it's yeah. something and it, it was very much on the back of um, workshop six which has been going for something like 24 years maybe longer mm. um yeah so it, it was great i really enjoyed it I enjoyed the teaching I was getting back to teaching again yeah um i enjoyed setting up something and it came to it just came as a time to move away uh, and that sort of time was when i was um looking at a program called Handshake, 
and Handshake has been established by a maker called Peter Deckers, who is was a, a lecturer down in Fitterea in Wellington. But that has also closed, which was last year. Mm, no, two sorry. years ago. Forget, forget with COVID. Um, and I got, well, probably a good one to say. I've put in my application for Handshake three. I didn't get that, which I think is really important, which is something that we've I've skipped along there. In a bit like when I said I didn't get into the art, the um, fashion. Mm. You know, often things don't always go as you think they should. I think that's, you know, mm. um, should be that very entitled word. Yeah. Um, and so when they don't, you have to either cry or pick yourself up and say, right, let's let's try again. Mm. And so I did. I, I applied again and I actually asked a really good friend of mine because she'd got in to the one that I had applied for and didn't get into, you know, how did you do it? And no shame in that. It was really, it's really, a, it's good for you to actually, mm. and she was happy to show me and there was no um, contention. Mm. Um, yeah. So that was good. And so yeah. I got into that one and that program is something that's a mentorship program. So Peter has worked with Creative New Zealand and he's got, a, he's, he's Dutch by origin. Um, he's got lots of good links throughout the world and he's worked tirelessly honestly both being an educator and for jewelry throughout new zealand mm. um he has all these links and so there were you know there's some rock star names that i won't go through that and mm. the idea is that you have this mentorship program and you put forward the couple of people that you would probably like to be your mentor and <laughs> it's quite weird um i ended up with this guy called volker atrops Never heard of him. I had no idea. Great name. Oh. <laughs> and I was paired with him and it was hilarious. But Volker is so cool. He's in Germany. Um, it took us a while to actually get that um, rift going well because of because of the technology um, and 24 hours difference. You know, yeah. My morning, his night time. Oh, so he's actually in Germany. Yeah. yeah. He's, and he's, he was one of the mentors from that project. Yeah. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's he has he has quite a reputation. Um but we work really well. And I think it kind of went back to the um years of me working with men, blokes, boys. Mm. Um, you know, you shoot from the hip. It's yeah. quite good. Quite yeah. like that. It can be good. It's uncomplicated. Uncomplicated. So um, what so just back to the handshake project, is that what what is the actual intention of of that project just to match people up into mentorships it's, or it's a professional development it's a two-year program it's a two-year commitment to um having a conversation having a um interrogation sometimes with people um you have shows you have work to do you you learn how to put a show together you learn to work with curators you learn to work with other people because there's probably about 10 others on the actual handshake um it, it's it really is that next step it mm. is that postgrad mm. so um, it's once you have your practice established yeah um i mean the actual criteria is quite broad uh, yeah so the criteria is broad so it has um different people at different levels uh, yeah and it's what that person's going to get from because it, it's time investment for me it was really really good i i didn't go into it with a, a a known outcome i think some people do 
or think they do. So I was very much open to anything that was thrown in my general direction. Uh, and the concrete that I'm working with now actually came from a conversation between Volker and I um, and images and stuff like that. And I sent him some images of Birmingham Spaghetti Junction, which, you know, it's very much in my um, memories. And he sent me back some more pictures of concrete around his area. And he goes, I'm looking at things differently now because of you. <laughs> and I was like, right. well, you know. So, um, but he, he's, and we still follow each other and we still mm. talk. Mm. It must uh, be nice for him to see where you've taken. Uh, I think so. I mean, he's, he's got bigger fish to fry than me, definitely. But we, uh, we little things, it things feed into your practice that aren't always what you expect to feed into them so it's just quite interesting when you especially with facebook mm. or instagram you put something up and then you get a comment and then because also english isn't his first language and when it's translated it sounds quite different sometimes and then you get a different play on it as well mm. um yeah, yeah. So that's, that's and was he supporting you with um looking at different materials and that kind of thing or yeah. just general technology or sort of technical stuff around think, your jewelry i think initially it was a bit hard for him to know exactly what was going on because there's no rule book so it, it really was a kind of push and shove to find what went on and he did say talk he did talk about you know gold why don't you just melt some gold and i'm like do you know how expensive gold is you know that preciousness mm. so it's it's never direct but yes there was an experiment um idea there was a thought of the concrete you know how do you wear concrete do you wear concrete why would you want to wear concrete um and for me, the concrete has become something that talks about the environment, you know, the clean, green New Zealand, where we actually produce quite a lot of concrete. Mm. Um, yeah. Which is really bad for the environment, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, But then again, there's not really a lot that is very good for the environment, no. the way we live in the 21st century. Yeah. So, um, you know, is jewellery good for the environment? Mm. <laughs> Well, hopefully if it's being passed on to generation to generation, you know, it's not like you say, filling landfill. No, and it's also a conversation about all kinds of things and you don't have to have a conversation in a very direct manner. Mm. Sometimes you can have it in a a quieter manner. Mm. So that's it. So that finished 2017. I can't, as you say, who knows about dates. And that was great. That really started pushing me forward because you kind of hit your roller coasters, your ups and downs. And the last thing, because I do believe in professional development, the last thing I've just come out of was it started in the February of 2020. And that was a masterclass with Iris Etchenberg. And we've just done another masterclass Zoom meeting probably five weeks ago now. And 10 people came together, different people, different um backgrounds jewelers makers mm. uh and we were having these zoom conversations she's in michigan um and they were quite intense you know four hours on a zoom meeting wow um and the sad thing about that is we all came out of it going we all want to be close you mm. know we want to be in a room together mm. because you open up so much yeah and i think the one thing that comes out from makers jewelers particularly is a bit of yourself in every piece of work there is there is a bit of yourself mm, and as soon as you throw it out there or put it out there onto display because i've got some i've got some orphans at home that sit at home but as soon as you put it out there you're open for criticism yeah. and as you know everyone's a critic 
It's the easiest job in the world. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you think it's it's worse than other art forms, jewellery, in that way? Only worse because I'm involved with yeah, it. You know, yeah. It's the personal side of That's it. That's right. Um, but I think every artist has, you know, that affects a lot of artists and yeah, how yeah, they feel. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, COVID for me was hard, I thought, in the time, but it was actually quite easy because I had did quite a bit of making and felt good about the time that I could spend in there because we were all at home. Mm. Um, the the last six months have been probably the six hardest months of my creative journey. Um, really? In what way? The malaise has been deep. Really? <laughs> Not a lot of really um, making come forward. Mm. Um, I don't know why. I could probably scratch that surface quite deeply and probably after that Zoom call what we've just had that zoom meeting it's a little bit clearer mm. um we've got a few more deadlines perhaps we're all deadline driven mm. so you're feeling overwhelmed or sort of under pressure um i'm beginning to feel like i have pressure whereas before it was like i was just floating around on mm. some sort of like weird green pond <laughs> <laughs> but you sort of i mean sometimes when you have that space it gives you clarity yeah um as I say, I think pressure comes from a deadline and it's good pressure. And probably on the back of COVID, there was a lot of deadlines that everyone, everyone for everything got um, crushed. And so sometimes you just, you had nowhere to necessarily go. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's coming, it's coming back. As I say, we've got, we have got the Fingers annual group show. I've got a show down in Martinborough in a gallery, Schmidt Gallery. Um, and we've been working with a group of New Zealand creatives and um, London-based um, people, so Handshake, Dialogue Collective, um, coming together for something that probably won't happen, which is terrible, which is called Radiant Pavilion in Melbourne, mm-hmm. and that's a biannual thing. Um, so again, Zoom. We've been doing those meetings where we're trying to put something together as a collective group of people. Uh, the Radiant Pavilion is big um, and it hasn't been going that long, but it's just got bigger and bigger and it's mainly makers, jewellers. Uh, and to be part of that is really exciting. It's mm, really exciting. So, I hope it can go, go yeah. ahead. Well, we're going to do some, I mean, that's it, problem solving, yeah. creative thinking. Yeah. Um, so maybe not actual objects, but it could well be posters and stuff like that. Mm. So, and Melbourne is just, you know, a city of sticking up a poster. Mm. So. Yeah. Well, that sounds interesting. So, um, you know, for people who don't know your work, Mandy, can you um, can you maybe sort of tell us about your philosophies around your use of materials um, and then, you know, the kind of materials that you use and maybe take us through a bit of a a process for one of your works? Sure. I think I am a a hoarder in many ways or or a um, scavenger. I I see the value in things that every day are thrown away. So I spent a a lot of time looking at rust and peeling paint and I think there's an urbanness that comes from my Birmingham that I still haven't got rid of even though I come to New Zealand, mm. which is very frustrating because sometimes you can't find that 200-year-old building mm. or something like that. I mean, you know, why make it hard for yourself? Um, I use things that are readily available. Um, copper 
is the base of most of my metalwork because of how the enamel sits on the copper. Um, so I have been known to go around to people who are just doing copper, copper spouting and see if there's anything in there and skips <laughs> Great. <laughs> to do that side of things. And so the enamel, as I mentioned before, is this like um, single cream consistency and how it is painted on gives that um, wear approach. I do sometimes try to be a little bit more graphic because I love graphic marks, but it doesn't really, it, it doesn't run easily. Uh, the enamel fires in a kiln at 800 degrees C. Um, it can be fired as many times as you really like. Each time it changes slightly. Mm -hmm. uh, people would often say my work is quite green and that's perhaps because of the copper element coming through. Mm. Uh, even though I've just done something, I found some really cool pink enamel because it has an industrial side of it. So the colours aren't as bright as um, conventional enamel. The pink it looks actually really cool when mm, you come I'm liking the sound of this <laughs> pink. It's quite cool. Um, I draw, no, I did draw a great deal, especially through um, Unitech, and that really helped me get stuff out of my brain. But also at the same time, it is because it's marked, you know, mm. that whole process. Mm. Um, I do still draw, but not quite in the same way, but I draw to problem solve. And, and a lot of my work, because of the enamel, you can't necessarily solder back onto it. So if you're making a brooch, for example, you need to actually problem solve how the finding, the the mechanism or the structure of the brooch holds the piece of enamel in a way that doesn't ruin it, but at the same time works well on the body. Mm. So... I don't enjoy soldering for a few reasons, um, but I've worked out a way of actually fusing my silver together. Uh, part of it is because I think I actually get a bit of the shakes and then there's this little tiny piece of bloody solder that goes running across and you're, <laughs> you know, that patience that I talked about. Yeah. You know, and then, so then becomes frustration and yeah. it's never a nice, it's a bit like a perfect storm then. Mm -hmm. So fusing the metal to get fusing the silver together works quite well because you get, a fluidness, a softness that gives compliments to the actual piece of work itself rather than trying to make a really highly structured backing with something that's a bit like it's just been run over by a car. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So um So you work with silver, copper. Um does every does every material you use have the enamel? Not necessarily. Uh, no, not necessarily. It it did. It's moving away. Um the concrete Obviously, doesn't. Um, but sometimes I've actually embedded enamel into the concrete. Mm. So, how do you actually work with concrete to make jewellery? <laughs> <laughs> Big question. <laughs> Look at the blog. <laughs> um, concrete is actually quite light. Um, you can do a lot with it. You can reinforce it if you wanted to, which is literally you know putting anything into it. You can mix it up with all kinds of things. You can, um, you know. Hone it back if you want to. Mm, mix um, pigments. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, considering it's actually one of the oldest materials. I mean, even the Romans used concrete mm. in, in one way or another. Um, yeah, it, I think you can make it look very pretty or you can make it look very stark. It's sort of according to your own aesthetic. Mm. So, um, and what other materials do you use? I mean, you've used, you use different types of metals too, don't you? Um, 
well, the, the copper being the most and then the silver, mm. um, I did in COVID in a bit of, you know, madness of exploring, it was started to cut down the plastic um, shampoo bottles and iron those down, made some earrings mm. out of those. With a kind cool. Of, yeah. um, when I'm... When I need to make but not think, earrings are the way I go to. So sometimes I play about with different materials mm. in there. But um, the material itself, you can do a lot with the material as long as you have the, the knowledge how to hold it, you know, so or how to make it into a piece of jewellery. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I can make jewellery that's quite big. <laughs> quite, I made a lot of bangles. And I enjoy doing those. Or you can make things that are very small, uh, yeah, and delicate. Help. <laughs> <laughs> so you have you make brooches and necklaces, um, sort of pendants, as well as you know, quite full full on necklace shapes, and the bangles, um, earrings, and I mean they. I can see the sort of cohesiveness across your practice. I, I feel like you can kind of spot. A Mandy Flood, <laughs> in a way. I mean, I guess it's the, your reuse of materials or your use of materials and how you how you work with them, especially with the enamel. Um, but it'd be interesting to hear, you know, if you maybe just choose one one project and how you how you started that and and what was your inspiration and where did you get your ideas? Do you have your sort of final product in mind mm. exactly, or is, are you quite experimental? generally quite experimental i mean there are certain things like if you take the concrete you know it will only do certain things you and the one thing that the concrete is teaching me is the preparation to start with because it's about the what we call what they call shuttering the technical terms is is the mold that you make and it's the same in a house or any kind of um construction if that isn't right the actual when you pour it in to make your mold it will collapse or it will fall apart or it will so and learning for it to cure and a good day to do concrete is not necessarily a um a good day in Auckland you know because if it's a bit too um humid humid thank you a bit too moist and humid it doesn't dry in the same way and you can end up with a crack in it and stuff like that needs to be thought about Mm. um going so the last large project was at Nelson Jewelry Week, which was an inaugural one, the beginning of April this year, and that was celebrating ten years of Handshake. And the premise for for that was that we all made a chain and we joined to the next person. And mm. the idea was that we spoke with the person to our left and our right mm. to make a. A joint. Wow, I love that. It, it was brilliant. That's it was, a great concept. It was very, very cool. And there was, oh, it was a mission. Uh, I think about forty makers because of the ten years that Handshake's been going. Mm, wow. They were mainly Kiwis. I don't think there was any overseas. Was anyway, mainly Kiwis. Um, and like as all good jewelers, we started off having that conversation about how we're going to join. And then it was like, well, well I'm going to do it my way anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the pure poor curator had to work it all out because. That was it. There was no get, really knowing what that person was going to do. I mean, we knew the length of them. Mm. So I wanted to work with concrete on that one. I wanted to do um, a simple link. So and but it had to have a reinforcement side of it. 
to make that link go through. And I just wanted to put a bit of enamel into it as well. And it ended up being called ambivalence, ambivalence, because often we're jewelers or makers, or no, anyone, we can think too long. And when you think too long, you can actually go off the boil. Mm. But because of the way concrete is, and it's such a material that people have often, you know, they are quite ambivalent towards it or they completely hate it. Um, I just thought, right, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it quickly. And the moulds that I used was um, toilet tube, toilet, you know, the cardboard inside your toilet. Yeah, toilet roll. roll. Thank you. Um, And though that was the same for all of them, I think there was about 10 pieces, by the time I'd finished and touched it and just actually put the hands of the maker on it, each link was quite different. Mm. Um, And I could have gone back to it and I could have started to work into it and I could have really, you know put more intensity to it but no that the idea was that was it mm. and it was there and so that and the range was wide mm. the range was really wide of people and how work. did you connect each each so piece the reinforcement of steel went through the concrete and then i made a um enamel spring so it was a bright yellow in like an old-fashioned bed spring idea that yeah. hooked onto each one. Mm. So, yeah, it's, Amazing. It's quite, yeah. And at the end, though, to join onto a very, very delicate piece of work, the person to my left had this really, really, oh, it was beautifully done, but very, very fine and very, very delicate. I made a tiny little earring that, it does work, it sounds a bit bizarre in scale, but that was hers to keep. So it was my giving back to her at the end of that mm, one. Um, how gorgeous. So, and what was on the other side? Um, a friend of mine's, <laughs> the other one's a friend of mine, um, it was uh, wooden that had been um, whittled. Mm, I love that idea. And yeah. did it look beautiful also, um, as a, as a pe- final piece? The whole thing, the mm. whole installation. Yeah, it was great. It and was, how did they hang it? With a little bit of fishing wire. Hanging, so all, all hanging, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, and that was it. That was very much the idea of keeping it off the ground as you could do for anything. And the material um, variety was huge from uh, takeaway plastic containers to wood to um, um, kelp. Mm. One of the artists did some work out of kelp. Wow. Um, yeah. Sounds incredible. I love the sound of that collective. And is that going to go forward? Are you going to continue with Handshake? Well, I probably won't in that uh, mentorship way. No, I've done that sort of thing. And there is another Handshake 6 going on at the moment. Um, and they will be coming to the end probably next year. Oh, I say lost dates. Um, Creative New Zealand has a lot to do with it. Peter Decker's has absolutely, and Hilda has a, have everything to do with it. And they are, you know, they're running. They're running on not quite empty, but the support isn't a hundred percent there in many ways now mm. because of not having the institutions. Yeah, um, it might be a finite model, but then again, you just reinvent mm. it, and and that's mm. and that is what Peter and Hilda are excellent at. They will always look at a solution. Yeah. Sounds incredible. I hope, you know, hopefully other funders will come forward at some point. Well, Nelson Jewelry Week was the first um, and it was spectacularly successful. 
So hopefully, mm. and it's good for it to be out of a major centre. Mm. You know, mm. it was great to go to Nelson. It's been many years since I've been to Nelson. Yeah, it's it a was great a city. It was great. Yeah. It was alive. It was really good, and there was lots of. It was a bit like Edinburgh Fringe. You know, there was mm. things going on all over the place. Uh, you know, the yeah. sun was shining. It was great. It's a great place. So uh, concrete and you know enamel and silver and and copper and sort of found materials. Are there any materials you haven't tried that you would like to experiment with? Mm, crikey. <laughs> I think the more I'm getting in towards mould making, I enjoy that process, a bit of the positives and negatives. Mm. And um, sometimes we can't get everything over here. Uh, but, you know, you just it, it gives you that opportunity to look for another, another solution. Uh, I am conscious of using materials that don't, have nasty side effects so like the resins aren't that good really so, uh, so as much as you can get some really cool effects it's probably not good for the old health mm. but then again breathing in enamel's not too good for you either mm. so you yeah know, you know. it's a tricky one isn't it yeah no uh, and as i said right at the beginning textiles or fashion was my first creative foray and I do miss not sewing as much as I used to. Um, and so some part of me would perhaps start thinking about going down that, that mm, avenue. Mm. Um, Have you made, made jewellery out of fabric very much? Oh, as a kid probably, you yeah. know, that whole idea of finger knitting mm. or, um, you know, brooches. Mm. Or when you, you, know, you used to cut things out and mm. stuff like that. It feels like a, a path you could go down quite easily. And are you interested in textile design and that kind of thing as well? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how the apples fall from trees. Youngest, that's her strength. She's doing some great material technology and, and looking at stuff. Great. And, and I, I know every time that happens, I start thinking, all right, get the mm. sewing machine out, re, you know, sort of start pattern cutting again. But again, I was, you know, you meant to put something on the bias and I'd put it on the other direction just to see what happens. Yeah, but that's great. <laughs> your contrary self. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that that's, I think, a big part of your practice. You're sort of pushing the boundaries a bit and trying new things that we haven't really seen before. Yeah. And um, from a business point of view, I know that you don't actually have a website and don't sell your work um, through that platform so how do you actually um run your jewelry work as a as a business mm, yeah as the accountant no and <laughs> <laughs> um, very fortunate to be at fingers uh which gives you the opportunities to do work that can be seen as a little bit more main mainstream but with the annual show coming up you can always do something that's a little bit pushing the boundary i am uh, in a couple of other galleries uh, one down in New Plymouth, one in Martinborough. And what uh, are those galleries called? So the Jewel and the Jeweller is in New Plymouth. Mm -hmm. Schmidt Gallery is in Martinborough. And then Kura Gallery is in Taupo. Um, and the Jewel and the Jeweller is a great um, situation as well because it's also a, a making. They have a studio as well. Um, mm. And Sam and Jen have set that up themselves, but they also sell. And they're, you know, they're bringing contemporary jewellery to New Plymouth. Great. So that's good. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't got a website. Um, and that was probably a conscious decision. Deci decision? I'm sorry. 
um, to to realise that you need. I like to be able to touch work myself, and I think it's good that people can actually touch the work themselves. Also, the website. I'm not techno, so it's it's a hard it's hard to do. Mm. Um, I'd use Instagram as a platform to show the work. The Mandy Flood 2020 shows very much um, that contemporary jewellery. Yeah, and the link for that is on your blog. Absolutely. Um, I have my other Instagram that's a bit like the the visual diary that I do. With it. That's shows how my work can often evolve. Mm. Um, and is that showing the process as well or no? No, not really. That was a bit like the family album. There's yeah. always a picture in there that you wish you hadn't put in there, but it's there now anyway. So, um, mm. and yeah. Uh, and do you, do you sell through Instagram very much? No, I'm thinking about it. Um, but no, that that's a different thing to, to go down at the moment. Probably because part of me wants to perhaps move into sort of bigger things. Um Martinborough Schmidt Gallery has got a show coming up in end of July and on the Mandy Flood, terrible plug here, Mandy Flood 2020, there's an image of a candle stick holder thing, mm. <laughs> object, mm. which is part of what's going to be the show Great. down there. Um, so that's object. Mm. You so know. are you looking at moving away from jewellery or having something on the side with more um, object focus? Just together. You know, they, um, you know, jewellery often is an object. It just has the ability to be worn. Mm, um, I I think three-dimensionally. So uh, it's sometimes the size is where it changes from being easily worn or not easily worn. Um, not obviously, but these candlesticks can't really be worn. But saying that when you see the shapes of them, you could probably put your wrist into it and it could well be a bangle. Mm. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Um, yeah, so that's that's literally the last thing that's been coming out of the kiln. Um, and that's something that with a conversation with the gallerist, with Sandra, about how she wants to push her own gallery, which is a big thing to have somebody working with you to promote you mm. as much as they're promoting themselves. Um, yeah, and having galleries in different regions around New Zealand must be good. Yeah, but every time, every time you approach a gallery, it's like putting your big girl undies on. Yeah. It's scary. It is. Yeah. And um, how have you actually made contact with those people? Handshake, believe it or not. Um, Sandra and Jen were part of in my handshake. and They've set up on their own to do their work. Um, and so as much as they're supporting me, I'm supporting them. Mm, yeah. We're supporting each other. Which it's is a, good. Yeah. And that's sort of continuing the philosophy of handshake. Yeah, and it's a jewellery community. Yeah. The jewellery community in New Zealand is very inclusive. It's it's a great supportive network. And I think that's probably how I have done what I've done at the age, you know, because, you know, we're on, we're on a <laughs> not that young thing, mm-hmm. um, because people are real and they understand things and there's there's, there's, there's no... Tall poppy syndrome, I don't think. Mm, you know, that's pe- good. yeah, it's 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 wonderful. I mean, there are times that we all have a little bit of a bitch and a moan, but yeah. bottom line is, it's a great, supportive, inclusive network of individuals. Mm, that's so good, and it's just such a shame that the actual sort of grassroots training is 
falling to the wayside. Absolutely. Dunedin Polytechnic is the only one that's running a contemporary jewellery programme. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, it is. So sad. It's... So, um, yeah, it's um, just thinking, you know, you have so many ideas and, and you you seem to sort of head down such an experimental path sometimes and come up with such amazing, beautiful work. What inspires you or who inspires you to make this kind of stuff? Wow. <laughs> That's probably the toughest thing that you've asked me today. Um, inspiration often comes from the natural, the urban environment, definitely. Um, there are a few heroes of people that I could say I love their work and stuff like that, but we all have a hero. And um, I think one and nothing to do with my work, actually, is somebody called Barbara Hepworth, you know. Um, her work, amazing. And I was fortunate enough to get to St. Ives in five years ago. Um, you know, I had to come all the way over from, from New Zealand to get to something that was basically in my back door. Um, but her work and the way as, an, as a woman she worked in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, was qu- quite um, focused. Yeah, and I love her work. I can't do it. Mm. And sometimes the inspiration comes from work that is so left of your own practice mm. that it's an approach that you take, not necessarily um, what you're going to get from it. You, you know, you don't copy, um, but how she worked and approached materials is something that you know I only can emulate. Mm. That's great. It's a pretty phenomenal woman to oh. be inspired by. Yeah, yeah. And that's <laughs> the Hepworth Gallery up north opened 10 years ago. Oh, wow. I've got to get to that one. Really? <laughs> I hadn't heard of that. No. I, I I mean, I was in England five years ago and I didn't even hear about it then. Wow. So I went down to St. Ives. But, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's when, when we can travel again. That's it, when that jab is yeah. in my arm. Yeah. And um, what do you love most about what you do? the ability that I can do it yeah um and coming to an age where I can actually say I do it and I'm proud of myself because mm. I am not very good at doing that and I think few of us are in many ways um yeah it mm. it, it teaches me things when I listen <laughs> mm, when you're ready for the for the learning yeah yeah um, yeah and meeting great people you know and you know and catching up with you, Mandy, if I didn't yeah. do what I did, hey. I wouldn't have caught up with you today. <laughs> I should have been making this podcast years ago. <laughs> Not that we need an excuse. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. And, um, you know, you've talked a little bit about where you you might be heading with your art practice in the future, but what what can you see is out there for you in the future? Oh, yeah, I try not to crystal ball too often. Mm. Um, yeah, I think... If you don't, if if you don't sabotage yourself, which we're very good at doing, you can reach for the stars, whatever those stars are, and you can get them. And being happy with that journey rather than giving yourself a hard time every day, mm. you know. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I would like to think that we have got more time in New Zealand to come together and to actually say how good we are as a country and not always look to Europe for the answers mm. because um, we have got some amazing makers and creative people here and we just need to really celebrate it mm. and sometimes celebrate it in the smaller places, 
you know, like Nelson, yeah, like New Plymouth, rather than always looking to Wellington or Auckland. Mm. But I do think that's changing and that sort of appreciation for, you know, the art that is being made here and also the sort of valuing crafting practices as well or letting crafting come in with art making is, you know, almost the same thing now, which I think is great. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I'm going to say this, you know, what you've done or doing with the creative matters is really, really important for people to value it right from the word go because often schools don't value what happens there enough and you know getting kids to do things in their off time makes it really really important for them and therefore they take it with them throughout the rest of their journey so you know all credit to what you've been doing and the podcast so it's you know a pleasure and a privilege thank you that's kind of you to say and yeah i think we all a lot of us makers value the creative process and you know how much that is a part of our practice and um yeah it's just teaching the rest of the world to place emphasis on that i think and and give children and adults opportunities yeah yeah well mandy we need to wrap up mandy and mandy are (laughs) just about to sign out (laughs) Um, it's been so nice to have you here and you know you've had such a rich journey and you have been inspirational to me the way you've just you know taken the you know the bull by the horns and um and even though you may not see it like that yourself, I think, you know, you've you've kind of moved out of teaching and started your own practice and then had these amazing opportunities that you've made happen and um, you're very proactive in your practice. And uh, and I'm very excited because I've ordered three of your silver rings <laughs> that you've got on your finger. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to own a, a genuine Mandy Flood. Oh, thank you very much, Mandy. And it's just lovely, lovely to be with you again. So carry on doing what you're doing. And you too. Thanks, Mandy. Thanks, Mandy.